one of the better books I've read this past year was a book by James Bradley titled Flags of Our Fathers. It is a biographical story about his own father, who was one of the bearers of the famous flag on Iwo Jima, which the statue and photograph is made of. And the author traces each one of these lives, these who bore the, the flag in that photograph, and, and uh, tries to uh, well, just do a biographical sketch of their life before the war, during the war, as well as what happened to them after the war. His father, who was affectionately known by the man, was uh, Doc Bradley, um, had a, a resolution within his own heart, as well as the rest of the men, that they were not going to make a big deal about this photograph, because they had a hard time reconciling the fame that they achieved from just doing a common, everyday task as helping some guys put up a flag, and the lack of fame that other men had received for dying in the Battle of Iwo Jima. And it was a horrendous battle. It's uh, kind of insightful and uh, well, exposes you to a lot to realize what these 19-year-old guys were dealing with uh, on that island as they were fighting a strong, resistant group of Japanese defending their home turf. For the very first time, Japanese grounds was getting invaded. And so it was a devastating battle. But every one of these men often spoke with reverence to their sergeant, to their captain, and talked about how they loved him. And, and even in their 80s, they would weep and cry and thinking back to their sergeant and their captain and they, to a word, to a man, would talk about how they were great leaders. I thought, you know, that's just a wonderful example of how we are to do in our own life with Jesus Christ. To say, you know, what we do, the kindness or whatever behavior that we conduct ourselves is really nothing to be compared of con- considering what Jesus Christ has done for us. And the great heroes that we often look to in American society, they pointed to those who did not get fame, those who died on the battlegrounds. That's what we do when we look back at America. And and so too, when we look in the Bible, we're going to find spiritual heroes, those that we look up to and think, you know, they're like the spiritual Iwo Jima flag bearers. And we're going to find that they also point to someone else. And the first we're going to come to is the man named Abraham. We're uh, doing a study through the book of Genesis. And in chapter 12, we come to a major pivot point in the book of Genesis. In fact, I'd like to just kind of give you a sketch of the entire Bible, all right? Here it is. Genesis 1 through 11 is the widening scope of sin. Genesis 1 through 11 is the widening scope of sin. And we get to the end of chapter 11 and we realize sin has influenced all mankind. has left us to the point where the world has been destroyed by flood. People are divided by races, by language. In the end of chapter 11, mankind, even those who are godly and following after God, have infected by sin. Chapter 12, all the way through Malachi. All right? is the narrowing down to a solution for sin. A narrowing down to a solution for sin. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
is the solution in Jesus Christ. Acts through the book of Jude are the implications of that solution. And the book of Revelation is the new scene that results from the solution. All right? You know what the Bible's about. Okay? You've got it down. Uh, And if you can read the Bible under that outline, it will help you to understand tremendously what each book is about and the point of it. It's amazing. I mean, the Bible is is written over 1,400 years. Forty different writers coming together, separated by hundreds of years, sometimes continents, all kinds of educational backgrounds, yet they all come together, and the Bible is unique in that it has a common theme, a common problem, common solution, all throughout, and they agree with one another. And that's what you have in the Bible. In the book of Genesis, it's pivotal, as I've explained to you, in Genesis 1-11, through you've got the understanding of who man is, and the respect of man and being made in the image of God. You've got the foundations for marriage, you've got the foundations for human government, uh, and as well as you've got the explanation for the various races uh, and geographical scattering of mankind. All that found in the first 11 chapters of this Bible. And then we get from chapter 12 through 25, uh, emphasis on this man named Abraham. The first 11 chapters you can structure as four major events, the creation, the fall, the flood, and then the nations. And then chapter 12, it seems to be from that point on in Genesis, divided by four main characters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, of which Abraham gets a fourth of the entire book of Genesis, a fourth uh, from chapter 12 through 25 focused on Abraham. Isn't that amazing when you consider that Genesis covers 2,000 years of history, uh, and then that a fourth of that is about this one man, Abraham. He is a hero of the faith, and there will be several who claim him. Of course, Judaism claims Abraham, Christianity claims Abraham, as well as the Muslims claim Abraham. Uh, If we were to look, you'd find that Abraham is referenced uh, many times in the Old Testament. Uh, And then we find, in fact, 40 Old Testament references are made to Abraham. And the Quran refers to Abraham 188 times. Uh, And then you go to the New Testament, and you see that he's not diminished in any way whatsoever. There are nearly 75 references to Abraham in the New Testament. Paul chose Abraham as the finest example of a man who is justified before God by faith apart from works in Romans chapter 4. James chapter 2 refers to Abraham as one who demonstrated his faith to men by his works. In Hebrews chapter 11, in what's called the Great Hall of Faith, Abraham is, is given more attention than anyone else as someone who went by faith, uh, a person who walked by faith. In fact, John MacArthur described Hebrews chapter 11. He said that uh, Abel was someone who worshipped by faith. Enoch uh, walked by faith. Noah worked by faith. And then Abraham went by faith uh, in describing each one of these men and their role in faith. We go in Galatians chapter 3. Paul wrote that Christians are the sons of Abraham by faith and therefore rightful heirs to the promises uh, given to him through Jesus. Galatians 3, 7, 9 says this, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel of Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Chapter 12, and the end of chapter 11, is the initial call on this hero of faith. This person that everybody looks to. And we see the beginning of how it all starts. And here's... Be encouraged, because when we see the beginning uh, of this guy, you realize, yeah, he's a lot like me. Uh, 
And we'll find that this hero of faith points to someone else. So let's look at the call of God on Abraham. Let's see what we can learn about the call of God on Abraham. We're going to start with uh, chapter 11, verse 27. Uh, in that chapter, we see a transition going from the primeval period to the patriarchal period. And so this is a pivotal section uh, going from uh, emphasis of all mankind to one specific man. And so we're going to start with verse 27 of chapter 11 and go through verse 3 of chapter 12. And so let's, as we read this together, let's stand in honor of what we read together. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his, nat- of his nativity, and Ur of the Chaldees. Abram and Nahor took them wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarah was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, the son of Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and they shall, thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You may be seated. All right. First start with this man named Terah. You notice verse 27 says this is the genealogy of, if you remember, this is a literary device that Moses the writer uses to segment the book of Genesis. So this lets us know we're about to go in a whole new section. This is the seventh time we've seen that little phrase. And by the way, if y'all need catching up with this, you'll find these sermons on the Internet and the multimedia resource section. I think I had heard that they just started doing a video, and they're just doing it from one week past. So if you miss something and you want to watch the video, you can watch it online uh, as, as well on that. So if you need some catching up, that's a good way to do that. Uh, so we've got this guy named Terah. Uh, he has three sons. We've seen a pattern here. It happened with Adam, three sons. Happened with Noah, three sons. Now Terah, three sons recorded. We see, see this pattern, lets us know something significant is going to happen with these guys. First, we've got the mention of Haran, who has Lot. Haran dies early uh, in his native land. That is significant, because Terah, you remember, it's, it hasn't been that long ago that the, the nations are, have been started, the families have been divided up, and they have their different clans and their different races. And so uh, it is important to have as many children and especially sons as possible to make sure that your tribe continues on. And so Terah may have been feeling pretty good about things because he had three sons, but one of them dies early, leaving only Lot. The other one, as we find out, Abram has no children. And so now his line is getting dwindled down significantly uh, here. And so this is a concern for Terah. Now, what the Bible says that Haran uh, uh, lived and died in this land called Ur. The native lands. This is where they were born. This is where Abram was born. Ur of the Chaldeans. All right. Now, I just want you to understand, Ur is not a collection of tents. All right. This is actually a pretty highly developed society. This is the beginning of Babylon in this region. Some of you may have studied in history about Hammurabi's Code. Well, that comes from this region and very close to this time period. What does that tell us? Well, in this region, 
of the, it's the old Akkadian and the Sumerian uh, powers. It is a place where there is a cultural peak, a political peak, uh, and have been so for hundreds of years in this area. There's a high level of writing, uh, fine cities, developed arts. They have treasures and gems, well-established law codes, and legal systems. It could very well be that this is the place in all the world to be. This is where Abram is born. Uh, this is their home. And then we find Abram Nahor took wives. Uh, the name of Abram's wife, Sarah. Now, what we find out later on in chapter 20, verse 12, this is his half-sister. All right? They have the same dad, Terah. They have different mothers. It's gross, I know. We don't do things like that. But back then, they didn't have much selection. Uh, you know, uh, They only had a few families that spoke of the same language. And evidently, genetically, that was something... Uh, that was not corrupt. In fact, it's one of the ways that races did begin. In fact, that there was a concentration of one same genetic pool that developed races later on, as we see in chapter 10 and chapter 11. So that's kind of a normal thing back then. Uh, and we find out that she was beautiful uh, later on in, in the book of Genesis. And so we've got Sarah, and you've got these other guys, these other ladies. They all have similar sounding names. Sarah, Milcah, Iscah, all descendants of Terah. Okay? Now, there's more than just neat names in a family here. What's going on is that they worship the moon god. It's a cult. And these names reflect that same type of worship. In fact, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, it, it, uh, Joshua tells us that Terah, the forefathers of Abram, worshipped other gods. Here's what you need to know. This hero of the faith grew up in a way that did not honor God. They worshipped the creation instead of worshiping God. This is how he grew up. And uh, God calls him out of that setting. And now, verse 30. Sarah was barren. She had no child. That's a major problem. In fact, this is a problem that drives the story and becomes a test of faith for Abram and his wife. Then Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and it tells essentially that they left Ur. And notice verse 31. They were going to the land of Canaan, and they came to Ron and dwelt there. Now, this is interesting. Because later on in Acts chapter 7, Stephen refers to this time and tells us that actually Abram received a call of God. And he did so while living in Ur. Okay? If we read this, it sounds like he got it in Haran. But actually, he got it earlier in Ur. And what you find here recorded for us is the second call of Abram to go to Canaan. Evidently, in Ur, he, he says, all right, let's go together. And the whole family goes. Terah, everybody, they all go. And they follow the caravan routes going from, uh, uh, from one major city to another, going around the, the de- desert area, the northwest part of Ur, and they stop here in Haran. They stop here. For some reason, they settle there. They get comfortable there. They live for Terah the rest of his life there. All the while, Abram knows that he's supposed to be going to Canaan, but he does not. He stops while here. Here's what I want to bring out is that Abram is settling in his life. He is on his way, but not quite there yet. There is a destination still waiting. Terah dies. Guys tell me that something significant happens when their father dies. I've not yet experienced that, and I really don't look forward to it. But I can understand that it's something that shakes you to your core. Something happened with the death of his father. God calls in and gives him redirection. 
and says, this is where you need to be. This is what you need to be doing. And at hearing that, Abram gets up and leaves again. Here's the first thing that we learn from the call of God. As we read this, this passage, he says in chapter 12, verse 1, get out of your country. When there is a call of God in our life, there is a leaving involved. There is a leaving always involved in the call of God in our life. There is something that he's asking us to forsake, something to turn away from uh, when we are following Jesus Christ. That is always going to be true in our life. If God's calling you, he is calling you to turn from something. In this case, he's telling you, get out of your country. Notice chapter 12, verse 1. He says, get out of your country. He goes from general to more specific in the personal support. Not only do you leave your homeland, leave your family or your clan, your tribe. And then he says, and then your father's house, getting even more specific. Now, remember, his father just died. He's the eldest son. He is in the position to receive inheritance. He is about to bring in the mother load, all right? And God is saying, leave that position where you know you're going to get inheritance, leave that place of security, leave the whole land, push that aside. You're not going to need it anymore. Friends, I'm going to share with us that when, when God calls in our life, there is something we must forsake. And here's the great temptation. We sense that in our life, God's called us to something in our task. Perhaps maybe it's just to follow him. The, the first call is to follow him. And what we'll tend to do is, okay, I'm going to follow God. And I'm going to, I'm going to be on my way. And then we'll find a place of comfort where we look like we're following God, but we're not quite yet there. Maybe it's to say, you know what, I'm going to be a member of this church because that's just a commitment I've not yet done. And so I'm going to join this church and that just lets everybody know I'm on my way there. But then we stop there. And God has called us not to be a member of the church, but to follow him first and primarily. And so we settle. We settle for that. This is something that just spoke to my own heart as I was thinking about this. I thought, you know what? I I know that when I got married, God called me to be a spiritual leader with my wife, with my kids that would come. That there is a role that I'm going to be praying for them. And not only am I going to settle praying for them, I'm going to be the first teacher and the main teacher to show them what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And here is what I found has happened in my life. I could get so busy and being a pastor that I forget what it means to pastor my own kids and be content. Say, you know what, they're in church. You know, we read the Bible together, uh, pray for them. And, you know, I'm going to let everyone else do that to, to teach them. And I've done my job. After all, I still look good. I still look like I'm doing my task. But I know in my heart God has called me to do something more with my kids. Friends, I'm just going to warn you. For some of us, we're in Haran. We're doing just enough to look good. Just enough to be considered religious. And everyone to say, oh, they're such a good Christian. And we bear that label. But God has not called us to bear a label. He's called us to follow him. And so do not settle in Haran. Go to the full place that God has called you to be. And that is what happens here. There is a leaving in the call. But as we keep on reading in chapter 12, we'll find that there is an object in the call. He says, get out of this land and go to a land that I will show you. You know, one of the reasons God did this in Abraham's life is he, he was doing a work. And he was going to start a whole new nation and start a whole new tribe in which God would use to be a blessing 
for the whole world. But he knew that as long as they were involved in this uh, worship of the moon and depended on family and not depending on him, there would be no room for God to work. Part of us forsaking is to make room for God to work. We're getting ready to uh, go to Belarus I'm with, the tr- with the team that's going. We'll be leaving Thursday. And one of the things I love about uh, going on, on trips like this is, is I, it's an art of packing. Okay? There is an art to packing. Many of you who've, who've uh, packed a trunk understand this. There is an art. You can't just put things together. Well, that's the same way with the suitcase. And one of my goals is to figure out what is the least amount that I can take with me and still make it. All right? Uh, I know most of us, that's foreign. But my goal is like, man, let's just like 18 pounds. You know, 50 pounds is what the airplane says you got. That's the limit now. I think, what can I do? 18, 20 pounds. How can I, how can I get it all down? You know, I, I came across a, some uh, stuff at a store. Um, a little crude. Not, a little, it's not crude. Maybe a little gross. But uh, it was advertised as these garments, undergarments, all right? And here's the advertisement. It says, uh, 17 countries, two months, one pair of underwear. I thought, whoa, that's just amazing stuff, you know? Let's, let's, let's try this stuff out, you know? And the idea is, is that, you know, easily washed. And yes, they do get washed, okay? They're easily washed and they, and they dry and it's just within a couple hours you're good. And so it's like, man, this is nice. I can just have one or two pairs of, of clothes, wash them, and, and, and that's wonderful. And how much stuff I can, or a few amount of stuff can I carry uh, for, uh, for a while? You know, I went on, uh, what was it, two weeks for two pairs of pants. And I just kept them washing. It's it wonderful. I love this. It's streamlined your life, you know. Well, here's why. Here's the main point. Because if I have the fewest amount of stuff for me, then that means I have all this other room in which I can be a blessing to the people I'm going. I can carry stuff that I can give to them. All right, I've already been hit up with carrying two of the puppets. Uh, so <laughs> we'll see. Well, I think I can do that. Uh, yeah, and we're going to give these puppets to a church so they can do this ministry. And we're going to be a blessing to them. And then the other thing I found is that when I, when I give away and make room, I can put stuff in to carry back so I can be a blessing to my family and to others of things that I get. And so it's all about making room to be a blessing. Friends, here's the thing. God looks at your life and you've got all these things that, that you think identify who you are. So you've got to do these things and you've got to be about these things because that's who I am. And all the while, God is saying, you know what? I want you to be so much more of a blessing, but you can't be a blessing as long as you're putting this thing first in your life. As long as this hobby takes so much of your time. As, as long as your family is involved in so much of this activities, you have no room. No room for me to work in your life because you're focused on these things. God's putting call in your life and he's asking you to forsake some aspects of your life so that you can make an, a new object. For Abram, it was first a land. So I want you to go to a new land. I'm going to make you a blessing and you're going to be blessed. That you ha- the only way you can do this is if you make room. You're going to forsake your family. You're going to forsake some of these things, the inheritance. Don't worry about that. Abram, I'm going to take care of that. Will you trust me? And so he says, uh, there is a leaving a call, then there's an object. Go to the land that I will show you. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 describes it this way. By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He forsake the family inheritance to go to God's inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That's faith. All right? That's trust. 
we live in a day and age where we have GPS devices. Those are wondrous things. Uh, you know, the whole idea is you've got this little device that corresponds to a satellite, and somehow the satellite knows where you are, uh, knows what's coming in front of you, and, and you can put in an address, and it'll give you turn-by-turn directions. Uh, and so that's pretty neat. I even Somehow it tells me when traffic's involved, and it reroutes me. And, and so, you know, I tried this, and, and it takes a lot of trust because you're just like, all right, I'm waiting for you to give me direction. And every once in a while, it will not lead you in the right place. And so, it's what you call fallible, all right? Uh, so, we, a few weeks ago, we were going to Virginia Beach, and I thought, you know, I'm just, I don't have time to plan this thing. Let me just grab the GPS, and we'll hit the road. I mean, as, as I got on this thing, and I got on the road, and put this GPS thing, I was just, I was getting concerned. I was like, man, I don't know if I can do this. This, this is a lot of trust, and this little device. I got as far as Zeblin, and I stopped and got a map, all right? I, that's just, that's how far my trust went. It's like, you know what? I'm about to leave Zeblin. I don't know if I'm going to go any further. I got to get, and I got a big, big map, you know, just so I can get the overview. Well, what God is saying to Abram is this. I'm your GPS. I'm your map. Don't consult any other source. Trust in me with all of your heart. Don't lead on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will direct your paths. I am your map. And so he, he calls Abram out to do this. There is a, a leaving in the call, but there is an object of the call. He says, I'm going to take you to the land. But more importantly, when God calls you, he calls you to himself. Yes, he's calling him to the land, but before he's doing that, he's calling Abram to trust in me. Listen, do not, do not be identified by the work that you do. Do not let that define your identity. I understand that I'm called preacher, I'm called pastor, but friends, when I read the word of God, I am not to be identified by what I do. The primary identity for me is my relationship with God. What defines you? Does your past define you? Do your problems define you? Do tragedies define you? Or do your lack of future define you? What the Bible teaches us is that Jesus is to define us. A relationship with God defines us. And so when we're called by God, we're called to forsake uh, these things that get in the way of a relationship with the Lord. And so he calls us to himself. And wherever the Lord takes us, we just trust in that. And so there is an object. But I'm going to tell you as we go on, and let me explain a little bit further, that it's not just an object. God calls you to a person. God calls you to a person. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Now, as we keep on reading, not only is there an object to the call, there's a leaving of the call, there is a promise. There is a promise in the call of God. We see this. This is what we call the Abrahamic covenant uh, in verses 1 through 3, where it is an unconditional, everlasting, literal covenant that God makes with Abraham and his descendants. And we see he promises land, he promises them a nation, he promises blessings, uh, and it is the reason why Israel, the state of Israel, has been celebrating 60 years just recently. The very fact that the Jews, the Hebrews, came back to the land, the same land that God talked about in Abraham, with Abraham, the reason they came back is a biblical reason. How does that happen? No other group does that. I mean, when they lose land, they lose the land. But the people came back. Why? Because Genesis chapter 12 Verse 1 through 3. Notice what he promises. I will make you a great nation. Abram was appointed by God to be a witness to the rest of mankind concerning God. Furthermore, this race that would be started through Abraham would be a storehouse of the divine revelation. In other words, God would use the Jews to write the word of God. 
there would be this nation or this, this ethnic group, a channel of blessings to the world, chapter 15, verse 8 through 12. And it is the ultimate objective in God's choice of Abram was to prepare the world for the coming Messiah and the Savior of that world in Isaiah chapter 53. And now we read the next part. It says, I will bless you. You see that word blessing over and over in this little passage. It's repeated five times. Up to this point, all the way from Genesis 1 through 11, you know how many times we've come across that word? Five times. All together in 11 chapters. But right here in three verses, you have that matched. I will be a blessing or I will bless you. I notice it is God who is doing it. Verse, the next part. I will make your name great. Make your name great. You remember the readers of, of this just read chapter 11. What did it say in chapter 11, verse 1 through 9? The people came together and said, let's make our name great. And they did so by disobeying God. And God said, it's not going to work. But, he says, what you desired on your own, I will gladly give to Abraham. And Abraham's not going to do it. God's going to do it. His job, follow me. Follow me. And then it says, I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. That always follows in the word of God, that when God blesses you, you are to be a blessing. Have you ever looked at TV or, or seen these other nations in the world and asked yourself, why is it in America that we are so blessed? You know one of the things that was shocking about Katrina is that, you mean what happens in other parts of the world happens in America too? That was the shock. You mean that can happen to us? Have you ever wondered why America gets so blessed? Listen, when I read the Bible, we as Americans and anybody who is blessed gets blessed so that they can be a blessing. Those of us who think, oh, well, this is just our birthright as Americans, you are sadly confused about your own life. The word of God, we are blessed so that we will be a blessing. And so he gives it to Abram. You're going to be a blessing. How do you make your name great now? How do you become a blessing now? Well, Jesus addressed this and how to make your name great in Matthew 20, verse 26. He says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Be a blessing to someone else. 1 Peter 3, 9. Uh, we as believers are not to return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. And so we are to pour out what God has given to us. Now, we keep on reading. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. That word bless literally means to, uh, you know, to, to honor somebody. It means to give weight. Literally, to give weight to someone as if, as if you're piling treasures on them. To give weight to someone. That is to bless them. I, I put a lot of stock in you. I put a lot of value on you. And then to curse means to esteem lightly. To esteem lightly. To care very little about something or someone is indeed to curse that person or thing. He says, those who bless you, Abraham, who give weight to you, I will indeed bless. And those who esteem you lightly, I will esteem lightly. And so we understand this as the foundation of blessings. And even to this day, uh, this uh, guides many of us in thinking of, what, of how we treat Israel and the Jews. To bless them so that we will be blessed by the Lord. And that is uh, indeed seems to be some of the implication, but there's also a little bit more to it than that. So we keep on reading here. It says in verse 7, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right. Let me just talk about this. How is it that Abraham and in his seed, he says in you, you know, it's in you, in you, in your genetic code there is a seed, and with that seed I'm going to bless everybody. 
that he described in chapter 10. All the table of nations. How does that happen? Well, <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Let me, uh, let me just share with you what the scripture has to say, how that happens. First of all, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. How does that happen? Galatians tells us. You see, if you were to read from Genesis 12 all the way to Malachi, you would see it gradually focusing and scope on who the solution is, so that without question, it becomes Jesus, the son of David, who is promised that the seed would come through the son of David, as well, who comes uh, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, all the way, you see the focus as it narrows down from Genesis 12 all the way to Mal- Malachi to Jesus, and then Jesus comes and dies on a tree, and so doing, he bears a curse. That was a curse thing. Anybody that dies on a tree is a curse. Not only does he take on a curse, he becomes a curse. He becomes sin for us, paying the price for us. That when Jesus dies on the cross, he laid the foundation for all nations to be blessed through Jesus Christ. You know what Moses is bringing out? Is that what Abraham comes, the seed of Abraham, is a solution not just for the Jews, not just for Americans, but is a solution for all mankind who suffers some from sin. It is through Jesus Christ that all of the world would be blessed. Now, Galatians 3.16. Now, to Abraham a seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as one. And to your seed, who is Christ. Paul says, the seed given here is Jesus Christ. Now, some of you think, well, you know, Kind of jumping out on a limb here. Um, you know, saying that the seed is, is Jesus Christ and, and it all applies to Jesus Christ. That's why I said it. it's not just an object that you're called to, it's a person you're called to. Well, let me just share with you what Jesus said. In John chapter 8, he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So the question is, who are the descendants of Abraham? He's talking his own hometown and the religious of the, his own hometown is attacking him. He says, I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've seen with your father. They answered and said to him, well, Abraham is our father. After all, I mean, we come, we can trace our genealogy to Abraham. Jesus said to him, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Jesus isn't questioning their biological line. He's bringing up a whole new angle of interpretation. He says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I've heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornicators. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature or his resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Now, they're not receiving this very well. After all, he called them all sons of Satan. 
You're just sons of Satan. You don't believe me? You don't believe I'm God? You don't, you don't, you, you think I'm lying? I mean, is there some sin you're going to accuse me of? Where, where's my fault? You must be a son of Satan. Well, you can imagine. Uh, they didn't receive that very graciously. Uh, and he goes on. They ask him, who do you think you are, Jesus? I mean, after all, they remember him when he was a little boy. He says, are you greater than our father Abraham, who was dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do not know him and keep his word. But I do know him and keep his word. Now listen, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. And was glad. What is he saying? He says, you remember back in Genesis chapter 12 when when Abraham first received a promise? In you, your seed, all the nations will be blessed. Jesus is reinterpreting that passage in Genesis 12. He says, he's not just talking about a land. He's not just talking about a nation. He's talking about me. And Abraham knew. He longed to see my day. It was the hope of Abraham. The hope of Abraham was not just having children. The hope of Abraham, Abraham was have children so that a seed would come who would be Jesus. And there would be the one that Abraham knew, referring all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God gave to Eve a promise that said, out of you would be a seed who would crush the serpent's head, who would deliver us from Satan. He says, he made me the hope. And Abraham was glad to see my day. What is that saying? The blessing that he's talking about is Jesus Christ. The object of the Abraham covenant. Not just land. Not just a nation. But a Messiah. That is the star of this covenant. Everything else is peripheral. Yes, they're true. Yes, we're to respect the land. Yes, we respect Jews. But even more, we're to respect the hope of Jesus Christ. Well... Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew that was code. Jesus was claiming deity. He was claiming God. And he said, well, no, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. How do you know? Well, they tried to kill him. Why? He wasn't just trying to be a prophet. He was saying, I am God. I'm the one that Abraham longed to see. I'm God in flesh and in me. I will crush the serpent's head. I am Abraham's hope. <laughs> now, listen, let me take you back. If Jesus is the subject of the Abrahamic covenant, then when God was calling Abraham to leave something, he was leaving all things that get in the way of our relationship with the Lord. And when he was calling him to something, he was calling him to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ, to be identified by that relationship. But get this. Notice this last part. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Who is the hope? Who is the center of this promise? Jesus Christ. If God says that I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, how much more will God say I will bless those who blessed the hope of Abraham in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? To give weight 
to Jesus Christ, to honor him. Let me ask you, what demands the bulk of your thoughts? What demands the bulk of your ambitions, your dreams? What demands the bulk of your your grievances? If it is not tied to relationship with Jesus Christ, we're not giving weight to Jesus Christ. But notice the next part. And I will curse those who curse you. What does that mean? To esteem lightly. If esteeming lightly Abraham meant that God would esteem them lightly, how much more those of us who esteem lightly Jesus Christ? Will God not esteem us lightly? When we come to encounter God and he holds us accountable and we say, but, but God, you know, I was on my way, you know, I had the appearances, I looked good, I stopped in Haran, and, and I did everything that I thought was good, but God says, you know what, I called you not to be the label Christian, but I called you to be the follower of me. I called you that. And we esteem lightly Jesus. Hey, that term lightly, you can't define it unless you're comparing it to something else. How does Jesus compare in your life? See, aside attraction maybe he's like a pez dispenser that kind of makes your life better you just pray a little bit it's like god you make my life a little bit better if i just acknowledge you here god said to abraham i don't want you your token prayers i don't want your you know you're seeking your blessings on on your state and where you are in haran i want you to leave me or leave this place and follow me. It is not treating God as a pest dispenser, but treating him as the king. And to give weight. What does your daytimer look like in giving weight to Jesus? What does your mental life look like in giving weight to Jesus? What does your drives, your ambitions look like in giving weight to Jesus? Let me just warn you. When we esteem Jesus lightly, God will esteem us lightly. How does that play out? Well, Jesus described it this way. Matthew chapter 7. There will be those of us who will come to Jesus Christ and we have said to him, but I've called you Lord, Lord. But God says, depart from me. I never knew you. Esteeming lightly. Well, that seems kind of harsh. No, he's just returning the favor. Because all the while, we had a little camp in Haran, and we felt free to call Jesus Lord, Lord, but when it came time to it, we did not follow him. I just invite you this morning to leave Haran, to follow the call of God. God wants to give you blessings and to experience life that you could not know unless you followed him, but all the while we're content with the little blessings we have from our comfortable lifestyle. That's not going to do it. There's so much more that God wants of you and for you to be a blessing to this world. Green Pines, we could always live in the comfort zone. So while we're doing things that every good church should do, but are we doing things that our God has called us to do? That's a a big difference between those two things. I invite you to join with me, to leave Haran, to go to Canaan, and make Jesus our treasure. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I just thank you for this word. 
Lord, I pray that it will resonate in my own life and heart and bear fruit in my lifestyle. May I not be alone. God, may there be others here in the sound of this voice that you would just raise in them a holy discontent for a comfortable lifestyle. Perhaps maybe just being in a rut of being a Christian. Lord, may they step out and do what, you know, what they know you've called them to do, risking something. Forgive us for risking little and trusting little and obeying little. But Lord, may we esteem you heavy, weighty by our life, by our dreams, by our thoughts, by our time. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.